one of the children said we could, ha- we could put this up. This is what they did in Sunday school. They colored the, uh, the figurines or the figures of uh, Jesus and them walking into Jerusalem and putting their coats and their palm branches and things on the road. So one of the children wanted me to show that to you. Amen. Today we're looking at Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. And it is the <laughs> triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And briefly entitled it, What a Triumph. (laughs) So let's read uh, from the Message Bibles, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them. He will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophets. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and the colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, And Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to the son of David or to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest heaven. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved, people were asking, What's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, This is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. You know, this would appear to be the final ride of Jesus into Jerusalem, but not as what we know it to be. It would have been to them perhaps a final ride in which Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who could feed thousands, who could heal the sick, walk on water, and raise the dead. He's going to come, and he's going to take over the throne of Israel. He is going to come in, and he's going to be king. You know, this is a great opportunity that it lies before Jesus. This will be a great triumph for the people of Israel. Imagine a king who can take five loaves and two sardines and feed an entire army. Think of a king who can heal all of the wounded. Think of a king who can produce food and power and and wealth at a moment's notice. Think of a king who can lead an army that really can't be defeated. (laughs) So, and for the disciples, imagine, you know, imagine them seeing themselves because they're still having difficulty with Jesus. Who's going to sit on your right and who's going to sit on your left? So they're coming in, you know, it's like... Keeping crowd control. <laughs> let's, let's keep the crowd away from him. You know, let's keep them back. You know, and, and if anybody wants to know, we're with him. <laughs> you know, he's going to be king, but we're going to be with him. Now step back. You know? they're, they're, they're in the crowd control mode. Well, <clears throat> can you imagine Peter and the others? I mean, they're just fishermen. They're common, lower class <laughs> people from a remote village, from a place called Galilee along the lake, along the Sea of Galilee, 
And here they are in a position to be in power with the king. I mean, they have come from kind of the lowest, one of the, some of the lowest positions in their society to working their way and following Jesus to be in a position that they don't see the kingdom of God as being something that uh, Jesus is going to establish in the hearts. They see the kingdom of God as a king like David. And they are traveling with him. They're pushing the crowds aside and they've got it all, they've got it all under control. Sometimes, looking at the disciples, uh, you wonder how short-sighted they are. You, you look at what they're, they're going through and how they're going through this, and it's like, don't you get it yet? <laughs> you know, Jesus has been telling you this, but they just can't see it. They just have this blinded, they have these blinders on that somehow Jesus is going to die, and, they are going, and they're not going to sit on the thrones next, with, next to Jesus in, in the, the ruling halls of, of, of Jerusalem. Sometimes we're very short-sighted whenever all the facts kind of line up and everything kind of points in a certain direction. You know, fishermen, tax collectors, stuck in a society in which no one really advances that far, you know, out of their realm of, of things, and how short-sighted we can become, especially when it comes to grand adventures, <laughs> and how that we can see ourselves becoming more than just what we are. You know, we, we, were, we had Jackson with us this week, our grandson, and um, he's got an imagination that's in hyperdrive. I mean, <laughs> he's, he is just, you know, it, it's fun to watch. You know, he, he can have a blanket and it's his shield, you know. You know, it's his shield. He raises it up. He, you know, he spits webs out everywhere like Spider-Man. And he'll glare at you and he says, those are laser eyes, you know. And he, can, he has lasers going. And then, and, and then he, you, should see him, you should see him hit the ball. I mean, he's quite a little, you know, he's quite a little kid, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, he can, he'll stand there, you know, and he has this thing that it's not a T-ball where you set it on top of the post. It sticks to the bottom of an of a, uh, arm. And he'll stand there and he'll go through it. You can tell he's in, he's in front of the crowd. And he is just talking himself through it, you know. He'll even walk away and he'll walk back and he's there talking, talking his bat and, you know, talking. And he, you know, he's, he's just like, just like on the, you know, the pros, you know. He's watched it. They step up to the plate and he'll look, and he don't see me, you know. He, just, he sees this, you know, magnificent, um, he sees a stadium, and just whack, boom, hits the ball, and choo. he almost nailed me twice. <laughs> and, you know, but in his mind, he's got this, this, this idea of what's going on, and, you know, his, his favorite thing is that the, the Newton, teen, the, what are these, the turtles, teenage mutant turtles. So, I got on the internet and I showed him what a real turtle is. And it was like, oh, is that what a turtle is, you know? His idea of a turtle is these guys are running around in costume with bandanas on so you can identify which personality it is. And, and he knows what each personality is with the, each of them. He can call them by name and tell you what they're going to do because he, he follows them. Well, 
Fantasy, reality, doubt, and faith. Fantasy, reality, doubt, and faith. Fantasy is the the imaginary kingdom that we place. We we kind of imagine, you know, this this place that is the yellow brick road, the the, uh, Peter Pan, the the place, this make-believe area, fantasy. Reality, well, reality is the preacher's going to preach for 45 minutes and the stuff's in the oven. No, I'm not going 45 minutes, only 30. Okay, preacher's going to preach for 30 minutes. Uh, I got to get out of here. I wonder what those other people are thinking about this sermon. Not because I'm for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> reality. We have our, there's no imagination to reality. They're realists. This is it. This is how it is. This is the cold and dark facts of it. And the sun is going to rise and the sun is going to set. And bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. And the reality, real, realists that are very depressing are the ones who know that it's going to be really bad by the end of the day. Then, of course, there's the doubters. The doubters are stuck in life. They're the ones who know that it's never going to get any better and that the government is going to ruin everything. And what they don't ruin, local government will. And what local government doesn't ruin, my family will. And, you know, what I lose at work, I'm going to continue to lose until I have nothing. Of course, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. See, that's not a fantasy. That's a realization that God is at work in our lives to take us beyond what we can see and what we can understand. And Jesus doesn't get upset with our fantasies because the disciples thought that they were going to sit on his right hand and left. They continued to think that he was going to Jerusalem to be king like David And Jesus is telling them, and he's telling them, and he's allowing them to go on in their fantasies until he sits down and he tells, guys, this is on Good Friday, guys, I'm going to die. This is Thursday night, rather. I'm going to die. Now, that's a reality that's less than 24 hours away from the Last Supper. And, and it, you know, but don't worry about it. <laughs> and you see, what does it take for us to put everything together? What does it take for us to make the dot, connect the dots? <laughs> the disciples, it took the resurrection of Jesus for them to realize, oh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He broke bread and 5,000 people were able to eat. He walked on water. He was able to heal the sick and raise the dead. Oh, oh, oh! (laughs) The realization begins to settle in, but sometimes it takes that step-by-step process for us to get through all of the misconceptions and fantasies and egotisms and all that stuff that gets in the way of us finding the path that God has for us. So Jesus is well aware of the disciples, of their personalities. He knows what they're going through. He knows how they're going to respond to the crowds, to the people, to this week, this final week of his life here as a prophet and teacher and the son of God, the Messiah. 
But there is more going on than what meets the eye because Jesus is riding into Jerusalem five days before his death. Passover is the 14th day of the 10th month on the Jewish calendar. And Passover, remember, is a remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt. You know, where God says, let my people go. Charlton Heston did best, I think, on that, you know. <laughs> and Moses, let my people go. <laughs> you know, puts down the rod and snake. Yeah. Pharaoh should have known he was not going to win. But you know, when you think you're a god and confronted with a real god, somebody has to lose. And I guarantee it's not the real guy. <laughs> He's not going to lose. And he wants his will to be accomplished. And so as Pharaoh doesn't go along with this and go along with this, goes finally to the angel of death. And the only way to escape the angel of death is with the blood of the lamb placed on the doorposts of your home. And the angel of death will pass over your house. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who is the blood of Christ, the Lamb sacrificed for our sin. As we confess our sin, death has no more reign over us and passes over our lives. Well, this Passover lamb that was used for the sacrifice was selected from the flock, taken out of the flock five days before the celebration of Passover. And it's on this day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He, Jesus Christ, is our Passover lamb to be sacrificed. He was publicly revealed as the lamb because even the priest said, it is willing that one should perish for a nation rather than everybody perish. They had a misconception. They thought that the riots were going to come and the people were going to rise up against the Jewish authority. They thought that the authorities were going to be in rebellion and their way of squelching riots was to kill everybody that was in the riot. So it's better to squelch, have one person die for Israel than to have everybody die in a, in a riot. But they didn't see it as the lamb being sacrificed for a nation. Jesus, he is God among us. He rode into Jerusalem, selected as the lamb. He could have rode a horse. <laughs> he could have ridden a horse and chariot. He could have been carried in by angels. But he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so he comes to us as one ordinary riding on a donkey. <laughs> I like the part where he sends his disciples to find the donkey. I want you to go to such and such a place and there you're going to find a donkey and its colt. I want you to untie them and bring them here. And when the guy asks you what you're doing, tell him the master has need of him. God gives us answers before the questions arise. <laughs> God gives us the ability to know the answer before the problem ever even gets here. You see, that's, that's faith. That's not fantasy because 
When God places that answer in our heart and the question arises in a day or two, it's like, how did you know that? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives within us, and we have this assurance that we are his. Not because of an intellectual assent, but because of a heart that is open to receive of his spirit and of his love that touches us in a way that makes it real because God is with us. He rides triumphantly into Jerusalem, but he comes as the Lamb of God selected for the sacrifice. He fulfills all of the prophecies. He fulfills that which was written in history about the one who is coming. That wasn't a fantasy that they were having about a Messiah. It was a revelation about what God was going to do and how he was going to come. And this is the revelation that we have in our own hearts about what, who Jesus is and what he is going to do. And our hope of eternal life is not a fantasy. It is a reality because the one we believe in rose from the dead. We are forgiven from our sins because there was a revelation of a Savior who would come. And when that Savior came, he died. And if we confess our sins, he forgives us. He rose from the dead. These are revelations that were prophesied, and they were answers that came to the Jewish community. And they are answers that come to us because it is the same Jesus who presents himself to us in our lives. When Jesus goes to ride the donkey, the disciples take their cloaks off and place them on the donkey. And, and the other disciples, you know, and, and it's like, how many, how many coats can you put on a donkey before you have to quit? You know, Imagine they're all there. Let me put my coat. I'll put my, I, put, I put my coat on there first. Let me get mine. I'll put it on. You know, he's got a stack of coats. This high, all the 12 of them. We want him to ride on our coat because if he sits on our coat, we might sit next to him. <laughs> Imagine Jesus. Guys, guys, you know. That's not in the Bible. I just made that up, okay? <laughs> I just want you to know that. It's not in the Bible. But I'm sure that there was this competition between them. And so... They start laying them on the donkey. They couldn't get it on. the like, well, I'm going to put mine on the ground. You think you're special. I'm putting mine on the ground, and the donkey's going to ride on it, walk on it. Well, for whatever reason, the disciples laid their cloaks and their coats down, and perhaps they began to see the, the grandeur of what's going on, that Jesus is coming. He's entering Jerusalem a triumphant king. Coats are on the donkey. Coats are on the ground. People that didn't have anything to lay on the ground, they cut palm branches and laid them out on the ground, and they began to shout and sing about the Messiah coming. You see, from the, surren from the surrender of their lives, their loyalty to Jesus was proclaimed by their laying their coats upon the ground. The Passover lamb is for us. He died for our sins. We lay our lives before him, not to be trampled, but to be empowered. To be empowered by his grace and his mercy, and to be empowered by his love, to be empowered by that which changes our lives from the inside out. <laughs> Jesus, he came to do the will of the Father. He came to be the lamb, sacrificial lamb, and the crowds were very large, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Message Bible says, Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way. These are prophecies in, the, in what we consider the Old Testament declaring, not a fantasy, but a promise. The Lord your king is on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, full of a, full of a pack animal. Here he is, the king of heaven, the creator of the universe who spoke and the worlds came into existence. He now rides on the back of a donkey into a city that is going to kill him in just a matter of days. The crowds will turn against him, and whether the same people are in both crowds, we don't know. But there were, there were crowds, and possibly some of them that were right, crying Hosanna and putting their robes out, or some of the ones that said, we want Barabbas. Kill this guy. We'll see if he's a prophet. Hmm. The words of his mouth. He comes, he created with his speech, and he comes meek and humble, lowly, on a young pack animal. Not only is he the lamb chosen from the flock, he is the lamb of glory displayed to all. You know, sometimes we, we you know, I was raised on a farm, okay? Everybody knows that, so. Um, the, the lambs that were sacrificed, they would take them out of the flock five days ahead of time. They didn't tie it out back with the dog. The lamb would have probably been in their homes with them. Now, anybody ever pet their dog? <laughs> pet your lamb? The lamb probably became very much a part of the family. And then on the day that was called for, the Day of Atonement, that lamb would have been sacrificed. You see, it was something for them to know the lamb cost them something. It wasn't an obscure ritual where you take a lamb out of a flock that you don't know, you haven't touched, you haven't talked to, you haven't fed, you haven't nurtured, and you just kill it and throw it and burn it and it's all okay. Our sins are forgiven, the lamb of God, okay, takes away the sin of the world. This lamb, no, this would have cost them something. It was, it was a way of letting them know that what they are doing is more than just a ritual. What they are doing is a sacrifice. It costs them something. You see, Jesus comes declaring his position to all. He has come to set us free from our sins and from the things that we look at in our life. When there are two, when God and you come together, God and I come together, it is like a, a contact of two chemical substances. If there, is, if there is any reaction, both are going to be transformed. When God and you come together, there's going to be a reaction, and both will be transformed. Now, excuse me. I got my Alka-Seltzer with me today. And Alka-Seltzer and water, two distinct 
chemicals, personalities as we may. And as we take these two personalities, these reactions, now some of you are not old enough to know, plunk, plunk, fizz, fizz, oh what a relief it is. What happens? There's a reaction. Both are changed. When God comes into our life, something changes. God doesn't become something different. He is always who he is. But he permeates every part of our being. Things change. The water is not the same once the Alka-Seltzer has gotten in it. Now, we could strain it out. We could purify it out that it would, you know, get the right kind of filters and stuff. We can strain out all of that. But in our life, God has come to change us. He's come to be a part of every aspect of who we are. And it isn't something that is off in the distance. He is someone who is part of us. And Jesus enters our lives, and what happens? What happens to the water when the Alka-Seltzer meets it? It begins to be transformed by another component. What happens when Jesus comes into our lives? We are transformed by another component that is greater than ourselves and is greater than everything we could ever imagine because it hasn't even begun. The promise of God is you haven't even begun to imagine what God can do in your life. You haven't even begun to imagine. Because when the transformation takes place, it's not the same. This isn't fantasy. This is faith. That God has a place in heaven for us that is built especially for you. It will fit just like a handmade glove perfectly measured and fit for you. Our life that God has called us to live is a life perfectly fit for you. There are trials. There are difficulties. There are problems. There are fantasies. There are realities. But there is faith. And when God comes into our life, we become a person of faith. That things are not what they used to be. I have a different texture, a different taste, a different perspective than I've ever had before. Because the Lamb of God came triumphantly into Jerusalem. He, he rode triumphantly. Not because he wasn't going to die. He rode triumphantly because he was going to die and that he was going to be raised from the dead, and that his resurrection would mean that everyone who believes in him will have that same resurrection power in them. And the same power that transformed the disciples is the same power that transforms us. And when we put it into our lives, it changes us from the inside out, from our heart outward. God has a plan for us. God has a purpose for us. And if we will allow Christ to enter into our hearts, 
He will change our lives forever. Amen? Let's stand. Now, we mentioned about inviting five families. <laughs> um, I'm very serious about this because you don't know what Christ is going to do in their life. You don't know how transformed they're going to be. All we know is they need some Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> you know, you walk up to someone and say, you know what? You need some plop-plop in your life. <laughs> and they're going to go, what's wrong with that person? My preacher said you need some plop-plop in your life. <laughs> so if you can't ask them for church, tell them you need some plop-plop in your life, and whenever they inquire, then you tell them, my pastor wants you to come to church. But not I want them, God wants them to come because he's the transforming agent. Amen? Father, we bring ourselves to you thanking you for the great gift you've given us, the gift of life. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us that we might be saved from our sins. And those things that trip us up, cause us to fall and fail. God, you've never had one bad thought about us in all of our failures. You've only seen what we can become by your grace and your mercy. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that that blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross cleanse us from our sins, renew a right spirit within us, we pray. We ask your blessing and guidance because we belong to you. Amen? We belong to you. <laughs> Let's say that. We belong to you. Amen. God bless you. Anybody need an Alka-Seltzer? <laughs>